Hello and welcome to another Kangaroo English Daily Digest podcast. My name is Christian and today is Monday. Definitely the best day of the week. <laughs> um, I have been away for a couple of weeks and I have spent a lot of time in the past couple of weeks reading and thinking a lot about language. And thinking about the bigger picture of language and, you know, what it is, what it means to be human, <laughs> quite, um, quite sort of uh, deep philosophical thought. That's one of the reasons that my wife hates to go on holiday with me. <laughs> um, but because this is my first Daily Digest uh, after my, my break, I wanted to continue in this kind of philosophical mood, and I wanted to talk about how we could understand alien languages and how aliens could understand human languages and what that actually tells us about language learning and, and the importance of language in general. And I actually wanted to start by declaring that I myself am an alien. <laughs> so obviously I'm not an extraterrestrial alien, but I'm an alien in the other sense of the word, which means that I am not from here. It comes from the Latin, which means that something is different or other or apart. Because even though I was born in Australia and spent the first half of my life in Australia, now I live in Spain. So here in Spain, I'm an alien. And as an alien, I'm a little bit different, right? I'm from a different place. I have a different native language and maybe a different culture. But if we look at a global perspective, especially if we look at the perspective of the universe, I'm not really very different from any other Spanish person. In fact, I'm not really very different from anyone else on the planet. You see, I'm still a human and I still speak a language. And as humans, we have this idea in our mind that we are very special, that we're special because we're kind of intelligent and we have science and, and engineering and we also have language, this amazing gift that no other things have, no other insects or animals have. But I have some bad news for you. <laughs> the bad news is that you and me and all humans, we are just animals. You might not like to, to think about it in that way. You might not like to be put in the same category as a, as a dog or a, a fly, but we're all just animals, right? And not only that, not only are we special because, you know, we're just animals, we're not special because we are not the only things that have language. I have this, um, this great paper here. Uh, which was published in uh, the National Institute of Health Neuroscience uh, uh, publication 
and it's called What Birds Have to Say About Language. And what they showed is that birds show all of the characteristics and the complexity of human languages. So, you know, they can do things like center embedded clauses, they can they can do nesting, they can do recursion, they can do all of the things that we think are very special about human languages, and they can do them, but they just do them with songs instead of with words. So if we know that 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 humans and animals, you know, are not that that different, if we know that animals have language, why do we feel like they don't? Well, one of the reasons is probably because we are not looking at their language in the right way. Because most people feel like animals communicate. I mean, they know that, you know, uh, dogs bark when they're angry or upset and they know that you know some bees have this wiggle dance that they do and they they know that you know elephants can communicate with low rumblings we know that animals can communicate but we don't consider it to be language and the reason is because we don't understand it we are not looking at it in the right way let me give you an example of what i'm talking about now at the beginning of this podcast, I declared that I'm an alien. <laughs> but what about an extraterrestrial alien? What if an extraterrestrial alien came to Earth and started looking around at all of the different animals on the surface? They started looking at us, humans, and also at elephants and lions and monkeys and, and everything else. And they started to listen to their language. What would they hear? Well, if they listen to human languages, they might hear something like a sentence. Like, for example, I like shopping with David. I like shopping with David. And the aliens might choose to record that sentence and try and analyze my human language. What does it mean? How does it work? And maybe they might look at the spectrograph, the visual representation of my audio. If you've ever seen a, a spectrograph, it looks like a, a kind of TV static, and it shows the frequency of, of our speech. And if they, if they break up my, my sentence, they might see that it has these syllables. And so they might decide that mm, those syllables are something important, those powerful parts of my speaking. They might say that each one of those contains something useful. So they look at my sentence, I like shopping with David. And they say, okay, let's look at all these little words that we have i okay that's a word like well there's another word sha there's another word a word sha then there's a word ping and there's a word with and there's a word day and then there's a word vid 
We have all these words. I wonder what a shaw is. What's a shaw? What's a ping? I wonder what a ping is. What's a da? What's a vid? And so they would not understand the way that that my syllables do not actually relate to nouns and verbs and adjectives and, and adverbs. Syllables are just part of the way that I speak. But if they started analyzing my syllables, they would find it very, very difficult, maybe impossible to ever understand human speaking. And maybe that's the same thing with animals. We're looking at animals in the wrong way. And I have this great paper here published in the Perspectives on Psychological Science uh, very recently, in just a few weeks ago, called Animals Have No Language and Humans Are Animals Too. And in this paper, they show these different spectrographs of human noises. They show how human noises are different depending on if you are begging, if you are in close contact with another human, if you are in distress or alarm, or if you are mating. And if you look at these pictures of this audio information, you can very clearly see how it's different depending on the different situations. And that's interesting, but we already know that about human languages. But in this paper, they did the same thing with a bat and an otter and a finch, a type of bird. And the bat and the otter and the finch all had different types of noise that they make in those different situations, in a begging situation, in a close contact situation, in a distress or alarm situation, or in a mating situation, just like humans. The difference is that we just don't understand what they're saying because we don't have their perspective on the world. And this is where things start to get really interesting, where we really start to understand why this is important. Now, we know that all languages have nouns and verbs, right? I mean, a language must need nouns and verbs to communicate. It's impossible to imagine language without nouns and verbs. But let's have a closer look at what exactly is a noun. And let's look at something like the human body. Now, as an English speaker, when I look at my human body, I can easily divide it into all of those nouns that I know. And because all humans have bodies and all humans share a similar experience in the world, it's easy for all humans and all languages to divide up and have words for body, right? I mean, we all have words for fingers and for hand and for arm and for neck, right? Well, no, that's not actually true. Some languages make no distinction between the arm and the hand. And other languages make no distinction between the arm 
and the hand and fingers. And when you think about it, it makes sense. I mean, nobody told us that we must divide the fingers as a separate object, right? Why do we do that? It's part of culture. And let's look at the neck. In English, we have this one word for this neck, this tube and cylinder that connects the head to the body. But some languages have separate words for the front of the neck and the back of the neck. So let me ask you a question. If I don't have a noun for that part of my body, do I really understand it? Can I communicate with it? Can I, can I talk about it? Does it change the way that I see the world? And then think about this. Imagine if I want to say, well, I have a pain in the back of my neck. If I need to use a phrase, the back of my neck, if I need to use those four different words to describe a place, does that then become a noun? So you can see how the definition of a noun, well, it's not actually really that easy to define. And nouns, well, maybe we don't need nouns. Maybe we can talk about parts of our body in different ways. It's obvious that those people who speak those languages that don't make any distinction between fingers and hands and arms, they're still able to communicate all of the things they need to communicate about the body. But what about verbs? I mean, clearly we need verbs to talk about actions, to talk about things happening, to relate language to time. I mean, how can a language exist without verbs? Well, it's actually possible. And thanks to Sylvia Sotomayor, we know exactly how it's possible. Because Sylvia Sotomayor, she invented a language called Kalen. It's something called a conlang, a constructed language. She is a linguist and she created a language without verbs. And it's beautiful, it's elegant, and it's possible Using this language, Kelen, it's possible to translate into Kelen and out of Kelen from any language in the world. So how does it work without, without verbs? Well, instead of verbs, it has these four little words called relationals. And what they do is they show relations between nouns. And the first relational is la. La is the relational of existence. So if I say la jacella, jacella is a bowl. If I say la jacella, that means the bowl exists. If I say la jacella su jatewa, that means the bowl is on the table. Basically, bowl, table exists. <laughs> another, relation, another relational is ni. Ni is about change. The relational of change. If I want to say that the bowl broke, I would say ni jasela jahua, which means bowl transition broken. 
You see how that works, right? And I could also use it to say, he moved from the city, or he is from the city. I could say, Nisayan Ru Jamonre, which means his location changed from the city to somewhere. Another type of uh, relational would be se. Se is about transactions. It's about give and take. I could use it to say something simple like, I gave him money. Tell me anteni pe. I, money, transaction. I, money, give. Or I could say even, teme yen, which means she said to her. Basically, she gave words to him. And so using just these four very simple relationals, we can have a language which is just as rich and expressive as any other human language, but with no verbs. Now, what does this tell us about language? about learning a language. Well, there are some really interesting things here in this philosophy that I'm talking about. Now, the first one is, in this language, Kelen, it shows that thought has no language. If I can translate a piece of text from English into Kelen and then from Kelen to Spanish, and those languages are different, and one of those languages doesn't have any verbs, then it tells us that concepts and ideas and stories exist completely independently of language. Language is just a tool for transmitting your thoughts. So that's why when you're learning a language, Part of that, a big part of that, maybe the most important part of that, is actually learning how to think. Having something to say. I don't care if your language is perfect, if you've got nothing to say. I want to hear all of your interesting thoughts and ideas with mistakes, if necessary. But the second thing it tells us is that if we want to understand a language like Kalen, which has no verbs, or if we want to understand a language like Spanish, which has verbs with 50 different conjugations, I also need to understand the way that Kalen people and Spanish people view the world. I need to understand the way that they think and the way that they express their thoughts. Because the way that a Kaleni person or a Spanish person expresses their thoughts is going to be very different from my mode of expression as an English speaker. And you will never be fluent in English or any other language unless you understand the culture. And that's why sitting in front of a workbook 
and memorizing lists and memorizing grammatical structures will never get you fluency because you will always miss the cognitive aspect. You will always miss the part that's necessary for you to understand what it means to think and to express yourself in that language. So you need to throw that workbook in the bin. <laughs> well, I hope that today's Daily Digest has given you a lot to think about. And when aliens do land, we'll have something to talk about. <laughs> I'm Christian. This is Kangaroo English. I'll see you in class. It's time.